Good morning, Golden Corner Church. And good morning to each and every one of you who have chosen to visit with us today. It is so good to see you. And as you could see by the video, next Sunday we're starting a brand new sermon series entitled Making Us Husband and Wife. And I'm trusting that you're planning to be here. I think we're going to have a lot of fun, but I think it's going to help us uh, to have a uh, fulfilling marriage and perhaps a more biblical marriage. And so I trust that you'll be here. And uh, this morning, I want to share a sermon with you that I've entitled, Starting Over. I think it's somewhat of an appropriate uh, Easter Sunday sermon, because on Easter, we celebrate the greatest restart ever. And so I want to talk about, perhaps, your restart today. If there were a way to reboot, reset, and restart your life, Would you do it? If that sounds appealing to you, I've got some good news, and that is you can. You can start all over today. And I am privileged, I am blessed that I get the opportunity to tell you how. I want us to begin by looking at a story that's found in the Bible. It's found in the book of John, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. In just a minute, we're going to read it together. But before we do, let me set the stage and tell you what is happening. Somewhere in the city of Jerusalem, under the protective covering of darkness, a man and a woman were en route to a secret rendezvous. They had planned a night of passion. And if you're visiting with us, you're probably already asking yourself, what kind of a church is this? (laughs) They were planning a night of passion. It was forbidden passion. You see, they were married, but not to each other. That sounds like a good title for a country song, doesn't it? Married. Matter of fact, I think it was, wasn't it? Okay. Unknown to this couple, there was another secret meeting taking place somewhere in Jerusalem. A group of religious leaders had gathered. In their opinion, the time had come to do something about the man named Jesus. He was stealing their popularity and in many ways stealing their following is the way they saw it. Now, one of these guys came up with an idea. Here's what we need to do. We need to discredit Jesus. That's what we got to do. And I think I know exactly how to do it. Apparently, he knew, at least one of these guys knew, the couple that were engaged in this adulterous tryst. He knew that they would be together on this very night, and he knew exactly where they were. So he convinced his pious friends to join him in his plan, and they made their way to the illicit hideaway. Quietly, they crept up to a sleazy motel room door, and I believe that with no warning at all, they kicked it in, and they caught the two adulterers in the very act. Now, that had to be an awkward and embarrassing moment. When uh, you're alone with your lover and caught away in a moment of passion, and the next thing you know, the entire deacon board has invaded your love nest. 
apparently the man was allowed to leave. Now, why do you suppose they would let him go? This is hodgeology. I think they knew him. I think he may have been a friend of theirs. Maybe a member of their synagogue. Uh, perhaps he was also a member of the deacon board. They let him go, but they apprehended the woman. Why would they do that? They needed her. She was going to play an important role in their attempt to discredit Jesus. So the religious leaders, with the adulterous woman in tow, they start for the temple. And that's where we pick up our story. John chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Let's read those. The Bible said Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. Jesus came to the temple in time to teach at the early service. And even though the Bible doesn't tell us the topic he was teaching on, I always like to imagine that he was teaching about forgiveness, salvation, starting over. Picture the scene in your mind. Jesus is sitting there with the people, and perhaps he occasionally sipped from a cup of coffee. I believe they were asking questions. People were interacting. They were making notes. But as good as this sermon was, uh, there was a whole lot more on the agenda for that morning. This would prove to be a church service none of them would ever forget. Look at verse 3. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, these religious guys I was telling you about, they brought a woman, the woman I was telling you about, who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. I'm sure that everybody who was there that day was hanging on every word that Jesus was speaking. So focused that perhaps at first they didn't hear the commotion outside the temple. But eventually the ruckus grew so loud they were distracted by it. And I believe people began to kind of crane their necks and turn and look in the direction of the courtyard. Long before they could see anyone, I believe they were hearing this strange conversation taking place. Why don't you get your hands off me, you jerk? Why don't you quit fighting and just go on inside the temple? Who made you guys a sin police anyway? Strange as the conversation was, the scene that unfolded, I believe, was even more bizarre. The entire deacon board of the Better Than You Baptist Church entered the temple bringing with them a woman wearing only her night clothes. Now, if you're there in the congregation, you may have thought this to yourself. I know they're encouraging us more and more to just come as you are, but I don't know about this. It was obvious to everyone in the crowd that the woman didn't want to be there. She fought valiantly, but in the end, she was overpowered, and the deacons escorted her to the very front of the church. i got to believe someone else thought, I know they've been encouraging us to bring people to church with us, but now this might be a little extreme. Look at verse 4 and 5. Teacher, they said, these religious guys said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? 
once everybody was, once these religious guys and the woman were all situated where everyone could see and hear, a spokesman from the group addressed Jesus now. Not the congregation, only Jesus. He said, we caught this woman in the act of adultery, caught her dead to right. I kind of picture maybe he's emptying a bag of rocks on the ground as he's talking. And then he haughtily said to Jesus, you know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches that as an act of punishment, this woman needs to be stoned to death. Now let's stop right there. Does the Bible say that? According to Mosaic law, book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, adulterers were to be killed. And the method of execution, the best I can tell, was being stoned to death. So having stated the facts, the religious spokesman asked Jesus a question. What do you say? Oh, we know what the Bible says. What do you say? What was going on here? It seems that these men had more of a problem with Jesus than they did the woman. Look at verse 6 through 8. The Bible says they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. You know, sometimes Jesus did things that made you scratch your head and go, what's, what's happening here? He stoops down and begins to write in the dust. Verse 7 says, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. And he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. We're getting it now, aren't we? This was their setup. Uh, they were intending to discredit Jesus here. They knew what the law said, but they also knew enough about Jesus. No, he's, he's not going to partake in a stoning. He's not even going to allow us to stone her. They knew that he wouldn't do that. In their minds, they had him. They were about to secure all the evidence they needed to prove that Jesus was a fraud. No true prophet or teacher would fail to strictly adhere to the law of Moses. Check. Oh, no. Make that check, mate. I believe they were thinking. So what did Jesus do? He stooped down and began to write in the dirt. Now, nobody knows what he wrote, but I feel like I can make a pretty good guess. I believe Jesus looked into their smug, cold, compassionless faces and began to make a list of their sins. That's what I think. I think he may have made eye contact with the oldest one first. Looked him dead in the eye and, this, and maybe wrote this word in the dirt hypocrisy maybe then he scanned he found the youngest one and he looked him in the eye and then he, he wrote pride and he looked another and he wrote deceit and as he's making his list the deacon board became more and more animated. I believe they picked up the stones of their choice and they shouted at him, Answer us, man! 
But Jesus stood up and said, okay, you want my answer? Here it is. Whichever one of you is without sin, get the party started. Let's get this thing going. There's got to be, to start this thing, it's got to be whichever one of you has no sin of your own. And whoever that is, take your rock and knock the fire out of her. That's the new Salem translation, by the way. <laughs> knock the fire out of her. Have at it. Then he stooped down and kept writing. Slander. I just believe he kept making his list. Look at verse number 9. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. I believe that as Jesus continued to write, the air grew thick with conviction. I think those moments had to stretch out into what felt like an eternity. And then at last, the silence was broken by the sound of a rock gently falling to the ground. And the oldest accuser quietly slinked away. Then one by one, the rest of the deacon board tossed the rocks aside and they filed humbly out of the temple, leaving Jesus alone with this woman. Look at verse 10 and 11. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them continue. No, Lord, she said. Jesus said, do you see this? Do you see what he said? Neither do I. Go and sin no more. As the entire congregation looked on, Jesus stood up and approached this humiliated, yet guilty woman. I believe, it, I believe the entire crowd inched up on the edge of their seats in anticipation of what Jesus was about to say. And he opens up with a couple of questions. Where did your accusers go? Did even one of them hit you with a rock? Was anybody left to condemn you? She said, no, no, Lord, not even one. Then Jesus said, well, I'm not going to condemn you either. What relief. Put yourself in that place, in this woman's place. She had really sinned, and she was really supposed to be stoned to death and I believe she had been anticipating that's exactly the way her morning was going to end and all of a sudden Jesus says nobody's going to condemn you today not even me 
she had to be thinking to herself, this is too good to be true. I've obviously misunderstood him. Then he said to her, go. You're free to go. As this woman slowly made her way to her feet and started toward the exit, I believe people in the congregation were asking, what just happened? What just happened here? It was this simple. Jesus saved that woman from the penalty of her sins. That's what happened. You ask, could he do that? Well, sure you can. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the judge, right? He's the judge. And as the judge, he can choose to exonerate or pardon anyone that he wants. The Bible tells us that Jesus is merciful and gracious, which means that he finds no pleasure in giving sinners what they deserve, but finds great pleasure, rather, in giving sinners what they don't deserve. Jesus was able to forgive her because he knew he was going to eventually take full responsibility for and make payment for all of her sins when he died on the cross. He knew, I'm going to take care of this anyway. Now, please don't misunderstand what happened. Jesus didn't condone her sin. He didn't say oh, adultery is okay. He was clear on his stance concerning, concerning sin. Now, he didn't say this, go and don't sin quite as much. Kind of curb back on the sin just a little bit. He didn't say that, did he? What did he say to her? Go and sin no more. Jesus doesn't condone sin, but neither does he condemn the sinner. Jesus is forgiving, and as a result of his forgiveness, that woman walked out of the temple with a chance to put the past in the past, learn from her mistakes, and start all over. Now, what's our takeaway from this story? Starting over is possible with Jesus. Now, if you don't hear another word I say, lock that into your mind. Store that away in your heart. Don't ever forget that sentence. Starting over is possible with Jesus. With Jesus' help, the woman in our story started over, and so can you. I opened the sermon by asking if you would like to start over, and many of you immediately answered to yourself, yes. And I bet I know why. You've made some bad decisions, and you've done some things that you deeply regret and for that reason you'd love to close the door on your past and start fresh you can Jesus will help you start over you may ask Ronnie how can you be so confident well Jesus is the same today as he was on that morning when these guys dragged that woman into the temple same Jesus as a matter of fact raised from the dead just as present here as he was that morning. He's a judge that would much rather pardon than punish. He's still merciful and gracious. 
There's only one real difference. Instead of looking ahead to a time when he would die for sins, now he looks back on the time when he did die for sin. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus, our judge, our judge, went to a cross where he took upon himself the responsibility for all our sins and died as though our sins were his. Make no mistake about it, Jesus is not into condemnation. Jesus is into salvation. Starting over is possible with Jesus. He'll gladly help you do it. Through his forgiveness, he will wipe your slate as clean as it was the day you were born. And you know what you've got to do? All you've got to do is let him. That's all you've got to do. All you have to do is let him. Here's your part. Your, your part starts with belief. You've got to believe that Jesus did actually die on a cross. You've got to believe more than that. You've got to believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he was assuming responsibility for your sins, every one of your sins. So that the death he died should have been your death. And the penalty he paid was the penalty that you owed for the sins that you commit. You've got to believe it was personal for Jesus, that he was for you. As a matter of fact, it just not you just kind of believing the facts. This belief has to be so strong that you're willing to stake your eternity on it. That you're willing to stake your entire eternity on Jesus and what he accomplished through his death and his resurrection. And at some point, that belief has to evolve into desire. you got to want this. You ask, Ronnie, why wouldn't you? Remember what Jesus said to the woman as she exited the temple, go and sin no more. I want you to listen to this. Jesus doesn't condemn sinners, but he does change sinners. You hear me? Jesus doesn't condemn sinners, but he does change sinners. Lots of people never accept Jesus, his forgiveness, or his salvation because they know Jesus is going to change me. And there are areas of their life they don't want to change. And so they miss out on everything Jesus is offering. Why do you think Jesus told the woman in our story to sin no more? Do you think he was trying to rob her of pleasure and make her life miserable? No, he's trying to help her. He didn't want her to end up in the same situation. And you can trust Jesus. Every change he ever requires for us is for our good or for the good of those who are closest to us. Now, once belief evolves into desire, all that's left is a simple heartfelt prayer. That would go something like this. Jesus, I'm, I'm not going to run from you anymore. Today I'm running to you. Forgive me. Save me. Change me.
Jesus did the heavy work so that this could be easy for us. Jesus paid the price so that this could be just a gift for us. And my question to you is, are you ready to start over? I'm going to ask that everybody in the room bow their head, everyone close their eyes, and this is what we're doing, guys. Let's just make this public place as private as it can possibly be.